if you're new with us, we are going through a very long series through the Gospel of Mark, and we teach from the Bible. This is just my go-to um, because it, it, it forces me to speak into things uh, that sometimes are uncomfortable for me to for, uh, speak into, i.e. last week's sermon when we're just spontaneously talking about demonic possession. Um, and so we go through uh, the Bible because we believe that it is our authority and it is the word of God that we stand on. There is an epidemic in the modern church and it's called biblical illiteracy. We have no clue, or not we here because all of you guys are, are, are theologians and scholars, but, but for, for American society, we have no clue what the Bible teaches. And it's because there is this illiteracy when it comes to the Bible. We do not open it. We do not read it. We have preachers who are not preaching the word of God. So I will give account on behalf of what I do here and I'm going to stand before the face of Jesus one day, and, and you can accuse me of whatever you want to accuse me, but one thing that I know you can accuse me of, it's that dude just would not shut up about the Bible, and he just taught it. And if there's anything that I will be accused of when I take my last breath, it will be because I believe that this word of God is true. And I believe, as Calvin once said, that we are to be creatures of the word. And that's my goal for us as a body of Christ. That we are creatures of the word. This passage that we are in, in verse number 30, is very, I, I have to be honest with you, it's, it's a very convicting passage in that it's speaking uh, it's almost like Mark is like, hey, in 2020, there's going to be a dude or 2000, whatever year we're in, there's going to be a dude named Matthew. I'm going to make sure you put this story right in there for him because he needs it. And I don't know if you've ever like read the scripture and just bounces off of you and you're just like, wait, why, why is God speaking to me like this? This is one of those for me, puts me on blast. And for some kind of reason, I like it, but all right. Mark chapter 9, verse 30. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing um, on the way? And, and maybe what were you arguing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And John said to him, teacher, um, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. And Jesus said, do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of him. Verse number 40, we're almost done. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink, 
because you belong to Christ, will by no means lose his reward. One more time, let's just pray that God would help us in, in just going through this, this word this morning. Father, again, we just come to you and we submit our lives. We submit everything that we have and we lay it at your feet, Jesus. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing and acceptable to you, Lord. God, that the words that I speak would be the words that you have for us, Lord. And I pray, God, that when we would leave this place this morning, we would all collectively say, how glorious is our King Jesus. And may you be mighty to save in this room this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. There is something in this passage that's about greatness. I think as we, we think about this concept of greatness, there's a lot of things that are happening in this text. In fact, I would venture to say that in, in one side of things, greatness is not a bad thing. In fact, I would say that most of us, well, maybe I should rephrase that, all of us were born for greatness. If you think back into the beginning in Genesis, when God creates, he gives the cultural mandates to have dominion over creation. So it would be the great over uh, creation. If you, if you were to ask a child when they are little, what do you want to be when you grow up? Most of the time, they're going to name something that seems great. I want to be Thor. I want to be Elon Musk. I want to be um, an AI robot. I want to be a ninja as my child wants to be my five-year-old, not my 16-year-old. If my 16-year-old want to be a ninja, then we have, we, I need to talk to him. Um, we want to be ninjas as a child. You, you don't ever hear a child, you know what I want to do? I want to be a mediocre citizen of the United States of America when I grow up, and I want to pay my taxes because I love paying taxes. Mommy and daddy hate paying taxes, but I'm going to be a mediocre citizen, and I'm going to do the bare minimals, and you know what else I'm going to do? I'm going to be an accountant. I asked, I, I had permission, okay? I asked my wife, when you were a little child, did you ever dream that you would be in accounting? She's like, no, no one does that. Unless you're Stephen, maybe you do, I don't know. Yeah, but but there's, this, there's something inside of us that we're born with that demands, that wants us to be great. Now, the problem is, is that from the desire of doing something great, that desire turns into that we ought to be thought of as great. And so therein lies this problem from a desire to serve the weak. Then it becomes this desire for the weak to serve us. Why? Because we're great. We're awesome. And you should know that. And everyone should know that. Let me work through this text uh, if I can, and just kind of give us a few things that just pop out of mind to me. What, what is, and we, we look at the beginning of this text, and if we think back in Mark chapter 9, what all has transpired, we've had the transfiguration of Jesus. Jesus' glory revealed through his skin the divinity of the God right there, and people beside him, they go down the mountain, they're bickering about something, they go down and they see that the disciples have not been able to cast out demons, and, and we understand is because they have just lost sight of Christ, that he is the source of their power. And now, right after this scene, Jesus begins to tell him two of three prophecies in this text that are going to take place about his suffering and death. Jesus is talking to them within sight of Christ. 
just within months before this takes place. Although we're in chapter 9, it's going to take us several months to get there. But for Jesus, this is literally tangible for him that within his sight is what? Suffering, pain, the cross, a criminal's cross is right in front of that. Like he is en route to be punished for the sins of the world. And so the disciples, they don't get it. Not, not because I don't think they're stupid. See, we have this Bible as a crossword puzzle, but like on a crossword puzzles, like you can cheat, right? You just turn it over like, oh, there's the answer right there. And you fill it in. These disciples just had a crossword puzzle with, no, with, with nothing. And so of course they don't get it. I don't believe it was because, you know, we, we hound on the disciples a lot of times. Like, look at them foolish boys. They just don't get it. A bunch of morons. Listen, they don't know the end result. In fact, I think, this is, this is Matthew, and I believe that I could back this on there. It's just because there's this anticipation of what a Messiah should be. And a Messiah, you've got to understand for these Jewish people, should not be someone who's going to be killed. You mean, you mean the dead Messiah? That's not what we've been anticipating. That's not what we've been hoping for. We've been waiting for a Messiah to rid us of this tyranny that we are in. Right? I, I think we could safely assume that this is likely um, what these disciples are probably thinking. Like, like wait a minute. Um, so you're talking about pain and suffering. And we're going, to do, we're going to have our sidebar uh, argument and conversation. And I think what Jesus is trying to get them to do in this is try to reimagine the kingdom and the king himself around what greatness looks like. And what greatness looks like is it is mixed with suffering and being a servant. It's self-sacrifice. So they, they begin to, to have this sidebar argument. And I, I love this. It's like Jesus like comes up to him and he's like, so what, what were you guys talking about? And nobody wants to say anything. I mean, I mean, this is unreal. This is Peter can't keep his mouth shut. This is Peter at the transfiguration. And, and you know, you, you've been in those rooms and conversations where you know you shouldn't say something, but you're the fool who's going to say something anyway just because you just have to hear yourself talk. That's Peter. There's nothing he should say about the transfiguration. But the fool opens up his mouth. He's like, you know what we ought to do? We ought to get some tents. We ought to just, we ought to just stay in this moment. What you say, Elijah? Hummo? Like this guy, suddenly now he's quiet? Like nobody wants to answer. What were you guys talking about? Well, maybe we should ask Nathaniel. Well, maybe we should ask, maybe we should ask Matthew. Maybe we should ask um, um, Thomas. I doubt he'd have the answer, but we, we can ask him. Um, maybe we should ask all of but And nobody wants to give the answer. Nobody wants to talk. I thought that joke was a little bit funnier, but nobody laughed at it. And nobody wants to answer. Right? One minute, Jesus is talking about suffering, self-sacrifice. Jesus is talking about rejection. And the next, the disciples are talking about position. It's, it's interesting because as, as Mark the writer, it's his way of differing from Jesus' view or Jesus' vision of what greatness looks like, contrasting with what the disciples think greatness looks like. It's as if they're catching on a little bit to what Jesus is saying. Pain, suffering, the cross, 
resurrection. Maybe they got the, the pain and the suffering, right? And maybe they're just missing the resurrection part. And, and wouldn't it be the right conversation to have? Because in my mind, what they're really asking is who's going to be in charge when Jesus is gone? It seems like, in my mind, that's the question that they seem to be asking because if Jesus is the Messiah and he's going to die, then who's the greatest among us so that we can know who will be in charge? Who's in charge? Jesus. <laughs> it's like little children bickering over who's going to be the line leader. Who's going to be in the front of the line? Jesus. Flip over to, to James for just a second, and I want to look at and I want to compare and contrast Jesus' view of greatness, and I want to compare it and see the warning behind the greatness that the disciples are falling into. James chapter 3, uh, closer to the back of the book, in verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. For if, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and even says demonic. For where jealousy, selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. This is what the disciples are after at this moment. Because in their eyes, greatness looks like envy. It's who is the person that's ahead of me so that I can beat them, right? It's always looking to who has the greatest job, the greatest salary, the greatest position, the greatest title. And as for me, I'm going to chase after that and snag that from them. That's what envy is. Envy is wanting something that doesn't belong to you. It's a power grab. I mean, just, just think about this for a second. Like, like, no one goes into a job and like you start out at 45,000 and you, and, and you get into a week of it and you, and you don't go to your boss and say, you know what, boss, I, I think I deserve like 20 grand actually. No, you're, you're in there for a few months and you see what everybody else is doing and what they're making and you go to the boss and you're like, boss, we got to talk. I need more. I'm deserving of more. I'm worth more. That's envy. And then self ambition here. It's the inability to put others' needs in front of your own. Like, just think about this. If your dream was realized, I know, you know, like, it's, it's like from the movie Tangled, I've got a dream. You know, like, if you, like, and, and I just rewatched that for like, don't judge me. Um, it's, it's like, so whatever, what is your dream, right? And what if your dream was realized by someone else? How would that make you feel? Yeah, that's a question I think we all have to ask ourselves. At the root of this argument that these disciples are having, the disciples are about envy and selfish ambition. Who's going to be the greatest? 
And if they are the greatest, how can I trample them? And how can I be better than, oh, John and James and Peter got to go to the transfiguration? You know, you got to know these what these guys are thinking. Back to this text, if Jesus is going to give them a version of greatness and, and the disciples' uh, version, and there's going to be a comparing and contrasting. Look what he says back in verse 35. If, what's this word, anyone would be first. He must be last of all and servant of all. Man, I just, you know, when I read through the Bible, I love what's, what's not there, and I love that Jesus does not go, how dare you to aspire to be great? Does he say that? No. Jesus doesn't rebuke his boys for like, you know, you guys are just a bunch of foolish morons, and all you're wanting to do is just be great? No, what does Jesus do? Instead of rebuking them for wanting to be great, what does he, do? he just redefines what greatness looks like. He redefines what greatness looks like. And what does, here's the question that we have to ask, what does greatness look like? Serve. Diakonos is where this word comes from. It's where we get the word, if you're back from the south, uh, you, you, you had deacons, right? I don't know, if, do we have deacons out here in the west? Like, like, have you ever heard of that word? Deacon. It's just a person who spends their life serving. It's someone who, who in modern terms, we would call them a waiter or a waitress. Someone who is always putting the needs of someone else before them. It's someone that wakes up with the question, how can I be of service to someone today? It's people who are figuring out what is something purposeful and meaningful and an impact I can make on just one person's life. How can I serve these people? Now, if, 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 we're, if, if a servant doesn't care what others think, we all, we, all, we all care what people think, right? I mean, I think there's just, an, we're talking about the extreme of this, right? It's when we curate an image on social media that portrays the good things about us and never portrays the bad things. Now, listen, I'm not against, like, portraying good things. Please portray good things about your life because if all of your life is just bad and negative things, then you need a hug. And I'll, I, I, I may not give you one. Someone else will. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but the problem is the extreme of this is that when we are projecting that our life is perfect, meanwhile, our wife hates us, our kids hate us, we're a jerk to people around us, we, we, we are just, we are imploding from within, we're in a life of trauma. You know what that's called? That's called deceitfulness. That's called lying that you're portraying that your life is some glorious life that others should aspire to become. Me meanwhile, your life is a train wreck. That's the extreme of this. Jesus is using the word servant, and it's synonymous with uh, greatness. 
in this ancient world, a servant was incredibly viewed as someone, as a lowlife. You were at the bottom of the societal ladder. In fact, I believe it was Plato who said, how can a man be happy when he has to serve someone? How can a man be happy if he has to serve someone? And Jesus flips the script as he does with the kingdom view of how God's way of things are done. And he says, you want to be happy? You want to have fulfillment? Then serve. You want to be viewed as great in the kingdom of God? Then there's just one antidote to that. Live a life of service. And then so Jesus gives them an example of what service looks like. And he uses a kid. Now, this is interesting. Now, there's some random kid. He's probably up there playing with... Um, they, I, I suppose they didn't have Legos, or maybe it's, it's Clay-Doh or something like that. And, and they're up there, and he's like, hey, kid, come here. I'm going to hug you. And, and, he, and he looks at his disciples, and he says, whoever. Like, I, I find that as a bit of a rebuke to them. Because I, I imagine these disciples think they've got probably a leg up just because you think you're closer to me. No, the invitation is spread out beyond you, disciples. You're over here arguing about who's the greatest, but I'm telling you just whoever receives one of these. I want to, whoever does this, whoever is the person who does this, they're bringing them into the presence of my divinity. Think about the context of this in ancient society, how children were viewed in the ancient world. They were right among the servants. They were, they were right at the bottom. They were at the pile. They were right there with the, the lowlifes and, and the people who could not do for themselves. They were not viewed highly. In, in very contrast to how our world today, well, most of our world uh, views children. We believe that children are a heritage from the Lord. At least I have to tell myself that quite a lot of times in my life. Um, but we, we, like, we, we tell children, like, you know what? Like, like you can do something, like, through God. God. God can use you. Like, we believe that our children can actually have an impact. We train them. We raise them right. We, we train them in the way of the Lord. Why? Because we have a higher emphasis on our children. Not so much to be said of the ancient world. With these children, if they couldn't do anything for themselves, then they were just a part of the low lives. And I think of today, and I think of the orphan, and I think of the poor, I think about the children in foster care, and I think of those in poverty. It's those who have absolutely nothing to give. And the child here that Jesus is using is a symbol of this vulnerability, this powerlessness, and this, this dependency and Jesus looks at his disciples, he sits them down, he doesn't quite rebuke them in such a way that we would think he would, but he grabs the nearest child and he hugs this child close to him. He says, this vulnerable child that is in great need to live his life or her life, if you take him one of these, that's what greatness looks like. What does this have to do with us it's, it's thinking about greatness in terms of the kingdom of God. The greatness is found not in what we have accomplished and gained for ourselves. I think back of Matthew 25, 40. It's, it's, it's given to the least of these, the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the people who cannot give you anything in return if you were to give them something. 
That's what greatness and service looks like. Now, serving, let me, let me throw in some caveats before I can just go through what I think service looks like for us in a tangible way. Service is not, um, it doesn't mean submissive to all, right? Jesus says, be a servant to all. That doesn't mean that Jesus is saying, be submissive to all. It also has the understanding that we are first called to serve God and God alone, and then we serve people. You can't get those things twisted. And I also think you have to use caution because when Jesus says, go serve, you know, don't take that as the green light. Um, I, I don't know, to go pro- provide methamphetamine to a crack addict, right? That, gosh, that was a really extreme. And I don't know where those parts of my brain are that just need you to pray for me. But just think about that for a second. Like God, God is not like, the, oh, go help people. And like, like you see a guy robbing a bank. You're like, hey, you need a ride? You know, I could get you out of this pickle that you're in. That, that, that's, I don't think it needs to be said. But if it needed to be said, it's been said. That's not serving. What does service looks like? It's when we're giving our time and our attention. It's when we give and serve regardless of the person's ability or willingness to pay. And these are just some thoughts that I wrote down. It's when we share with others who have nothing to share with us. It's when we forgive When we forgive someone who has not asked for forgiveness, who is not even deserving of the forgiveness, and it's when we say, you know what, you're forgiven, it's refusing to carry bitterness. This is what service looks like in the kingdom of God. Now think about this for a second. The point of this text, the point of this text is that Jesus... Jesus is just telling them, having a conversation, and you got to know it's, it's front of his mind, it's front of his thinking, that right now what I'm thinking about is I'm about to suffer on your behalf. I'm about to take on the sins of the world. I'm about to carry the cross and carry the weight of the world literally on my shoulders. Then the disciples begin to argue about greatness. And, and I believe, Mark, the writer puts this in here because you are supposed to see these things side by side. Why? Because greatness cannot be achieved unless we are willing to suffer and serve through the sake of Christ. Now, I have to mention this because I don't want to pass this because I found this quite comical. Um, they're, they're talking about greatness, right? Like, think about the scene in your head. Like, there's a child, Jesus is talking, he's, you know, it's a really just kind of like a short teaching. Wouldn't you like to go to a church that the preacher preached like one line sermon? Good luck finding it. You're not going to find that here. But Jesus did, all right? And I'm not Jesus, okay? Uh, But I'm trying to be. Um, So Jesus is like, hey, sir, you know, you take in one of these, be like, and then look what John says. John's like, you know, well, the other day we saw somebody casting out demons. Isn't that funny? Like, what what does this have to do with anything? And listen to what John says. Well, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me, for the one who is not against us is for us. Isn't this just a crazy kind of like 
if you're Mark the writer, you're like, why did you just put that into the text? Because that has nothing to do with what Jesus just talked about. Remember, they're talk, Jesus is talking about suffering and sacrifice. The disciples turn it on who's the greatest, followed by yet another teaching, a very short teaching on Jesus on what it means to be great. Then following the disciples, wrestling with insecurity. And they just don't get it. And I just got to be honest with you. I, I, I see this and I think this could be an incredible moment for me to take yet another jab at the incompetency of the disciples. But make no mistake, this is all of us in this room. Oh, what does it mean to be great, preacher? Let's look at the Bible. And we, and we say that was such a great sermon. I would hope that's what you would say. But we say maybe that's a great sermon. Okay, maybe it's, it's hypothetical. Um, and then we, we leave here. We say amen. And, and then what do we do? We just go back to the mundane of life. And serving goes back to the back burner of our thinking. And it would be easy for us to look at these disciples and say how foolish they are just to change the subject on Jesus yet again. But this is every single one of us in this room. What does it mean to be great, Jesus? Oh, you want me to serve? Oh, you want me to sacrifice? You want me to suffer? Back to my job where I can try to convince my boss to give me a raise. Back, back to... Um, looking through my finances and see and see what can I do to get more. It's the cycle that we all find ourselves in where this passage has just opened up our hearts and revealed it for who it is. And I love that Jesus, yet again, in his mercy and grace, he could have rebuked John, right? This would have been, you know, if I'm PR firm for Jesus, I'm like, hey, you know what? This is a great time to rebuke John. He's being an idiot. And what, what, what does Jesus do? He says, for truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Give the glass of water. That's give the glass of water. What's happening here? If you're doing things from a selfish ambition, and if you are doing things to build your platform, then you and the people around you will see you for who you really are. But if you are doing things through a servant's heart, willing to serve, willing to sacrifice all that you have, building on the platform of Jesus, then what's a promise here? You'll be rewarded. I mean, it's, that's pretty simple. You'll be reward. Sadly, we live in a culture where that is not the way that we live our lives. It's so interesting. Like, you need a really great job. You need a really great family. You need not just a great family. You need a perfect family on top of that. You need to make sure everybody is in line, in step. You better, you know, you know make sure that um, you are achieving more. Make sure you are climbing the corporate ladder. Make sure you are climbing the societal ladder. Make sure that when your neighbors see you, they say, I want to be like that person. Isn't that the culture we live in? How can I do better? How can I be my best self now? That's the culture we live in. 
And Jesus is, is countering all of those things, and it's antithetical to the gospel and antithetical to the teaching of Jesus. You want to be great in life? Lower yourself. Serve and sacrifice. Because greatness isn't something that we achieve. It is a quality that Jesus will describe you as when you learn the way of the master by serving and sacrificing. Now, just a couple of, of quick thoughts on this. You know, these I got to get back to the disciples in this story because it, it, I, I'd be kind of dumb not to mention this. Any notion of thinking that the disciples were some kind of like tight-knit, you know, bros, they're fist-bumping and I think any, any kind of idea that the disciples were sitting around a campfire singing I love you, Lord, or Kumbaya, or whatever song you want to sing, um, that's, that's being challenged in this passage, is it not? They're arguing throughout the New Testament. They're doubting. They have fears. Jesus is always looking at them and like, how long will it be for you to finally get what I'm teaching And the great encouragement in that, through their arguing, thinking that I'll be better than you, Peter, or I'll be better than you, James, I'll be better than you, John, Jesus stays with them. And I just think that as I go through this passage and I look through it, I find that my life has been marked like the disciples. I doubt, I fear, I question, I wonder when will I be getting my chance at life to become so successful. And throughout all of those dumb moments in my life, where's Christ at with me? Like, like is, he, is he far from me? Is he, is he up in the heavens wondering, good Lord, like Holy Spirit, will you, will you please like enter in this dude again so he'll finally get it and realize? No. What an encouragement it is for those who belong to Christ that in our disgruntledness, in our shame, Christ never leaves us. And it's just a profound truth. And maybe it's just a profound truth that you just need to breathe in that despite your failures and despite how many times you've got it wrong in life. I mean, you all are ordinary people. Newsflash, I guess you came here for church for encouragement. And in your ordinary self, Christ is calling you to be great, yet despite the many times that we fell at that, his spirit is there to gently remind us, gently pull us back to him. And then, and then this other thought is, is, is what my prayer is, as I go through this passage and I look at this passage and I go, this is it. This is what I want our church to become. I want our church, I want you to be great. But I want you to understand the reality of what that means. I want us to be a great church that is looking out for the interest of others above our own interest. I want us to go through our community with a fine comb and ask the question, what is here that does not belong here? I want us to serve our community. I want us to serve each other. 
Husbands, I want you to serve your wife. Wife, I want you to serve your husbands. I want you to serve your children in a way that is bringing them closer to Christ. I want you children to serve your parents that is with honor and respect. I want us as a church to serve our children and teach them the way of Christ. I want you to serve each other in small groups and show them that they're not alone in life. And point them always back to the gospel and point them always back to the word of God. Because that is what a great church looks like. It will not be, my Lord, how incredible is their website? It's so fantastic. Or, or, or look how incredible their social media is. Or, or look how many people are going. Like, right, isn't that the question you're always asked? Hey, what church? Or this is the question that was always asked in, in the South. Like, hey, what, what church are you from? Well, how many you got going there? As if that is the indicator of greatness. That is not how Jesus defines it. The question is, what church do you go to? Are you serving people? How many people are you serving? How are you serving others around you? That should be the question and be the mark of our church. I want us to pray and I want us to think about and ask the Spirit of God to just reveal in us, you know, who in our life do we need to serve? Who, what is God like calling us into to sacrifice. But what is that sacrifice that Christ is calling you into that you've just been saying, you know what, I don't want to do that. What, what is Christ calling you into? What, what is that person that just gets on your nerves, that's always around you, and, and maybe Christ has got that person in your life because he wants you to serve them? Who do you need to serve? In what way do you need to sacrifice? Let us be known for our greatness in Cedar City.